Stories of Communism 38, The Reality of Chinese Organ Harvesting. Welcome to Stories of Communism, the podcast where we discuss what life is really like for those unfortunate enough to live under communist or socialist governments. Recording from the suburbs of Wichita, Kansas, this is Eric Seligman, your host. Today we're doing something a little different. Our friends at the Anti-Communism Action Team recently held an excellent online webinar on the issue of organ harvesting by the Chinese Communist government and have given us permission to share audio highlights. In case you're not familiar with the issue, it's been rumored for many years that China kills political prisoners in order to use their organs for transplant. Evidence and testimony uncovered in recent years has moved this terrifying concept from the realm of rumor to reality. Today you'll hear from Jennifer Zhang, a former political prisoner who we interviewed in an earlier episode, and author of Witnessing History, One Chinese Woman's Fight for Freedom. She'll talk about how close she came to being killed for her organs. Then we'll hear from David Kilgore, a former member of the Canadian Parliament, 2010 Nobel Peace Prize nominee, and active member of the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. He's done extensive research on this topic, and as you'll hear, believes it has now been firmly established that forced organ harvesting is really happening. The moderator of the discussion is Christopher Wright of the Anti-Communism Action Team. Okay, um, now we're going to go right to the overview that I'm going to give, take a couple of minutes. I put this together three years ago. I delivered it at the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation to their staff there. I haven't updated it since, so the numbers might be out of date, probably are out of date, but the way to think about it, the analytical framework remains the same. So there was a report showing that uh, Chinese hospitals are performing 60,000 to 100,000 transplants for a year, far above the official government government figure, Chinese government figure of 10,000 per year. And a quote from that report, a meticulous examination of the transplant programs of hundreds of hospitals in China, and that's one point to understand about this subject, subject, it's not just a few transplants here and there, it's industrial scale involving hundreds of hospitals in China, drawing on media reports, official propaganda, medical journals, hospital websites, and a vast amount of deleted websites found in archive. The report analyzes hospital revenue, bed counts, bed utilization rates, surgical personnel, training programs, state funding, and more. And then the report concluded about the up to 100,000 transplants per year. Quote, in 2006, Canadian researcher David Matus, human rights attorney, and David Kilgore, who's on the in the, one of our speakers tonight, former Canadian Secretary of State for Asia Pacific, conducted an independent investigation into allegations of organ, organ harvesting from Falun Gong prisoners in China and concluded that Falun Gong practitioners are being killed for their organs and that that was highly probable. In another report, researcher and journalist Ethan Gutman published findings that Chinese security agencies began harvesting organs from members of the predominantly Muslim Uyghur ethnic minority group in the 1990s. It's making the news now, but this goes back to the 1990s, including from Uyghur political prisoners. Prisoners of conscience, including Uyghurs, Tibetans, practitioners of the Buddhist school, practice Falun, Falun Gong, and potentially house Christians are detained in Chinese labor camps, deprived of liberty, and subject to summary execution for their organs. Now, the variety of types of evidence about which we're going to hear more from uh, David Kilgore about, uh, the variety is, is impressive. 
In addition to the above sources I mentioned, the evidence includes a Chinese transplant surgeon who admits he killed people for their organs, admissions about short wait times, which are impossibly short wait times compared to the rest of the world, and good health of the organs made during calls. They actually called the transplant hospitals and talked about transplants. Good health is important. Prisoners have hepatitis while Falun, while Falun Gong are healthy. China did not even have a national organ transplantation system, an official one, until just a few years ago. Traditional Chinese taboos reduced numbers signing up for the country's relatively new organ transplant registry. Now, back to industrial scale, this activity nets China up to $9 billion a year, and the figure has probably grown since I put this together. Matus and Kilgore have implicated state and party entities in illicit organ harvesting, including domestic security agencies and military hospitals. That's another thing to uh, point to note here, the involvement of the People's Liberation Army, Army in this activity. Wang Jiefu, director of the China Organ Donation Committee, announced in December 2014 that China would end the practice of organ harvesting from executed prisoners by 2015, but he did not directly address organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience. Now, the Chinese are masters of propaganda. They keep saying that they've stopped this practice from executed prisoners, but they, uh, the allegations continue that they are still extracting, killing uh, prisoners of conscience for their organs. So there is a distinction between uh, prisoners who are executed and prisoners of conscience. And in 2016, the U.S. House of Representatives called on the People's Republic of China in a resolution to allow a credible, transparent, and independent investigation into organ transplant abuse. And that is the last thing the Chinese governor, government would want to do. And the bottom line is China's numbers don't add up. Their explanations don't add up. The, the, an independent investigation is needed. And with that as background, we're going to go right to Jennifer Zung, and I'm going to introduce her. Jennifer is a valued member of the Anti-Communism Action Team Speakers Bureau. She's been with us for a few years now, and she was uh, born in Sichuan province in 1966, that's in China. She was arrested four times and held as a prisoner of conscience in a labor camp for a year. In the camp, she was physically and mentally abused and subjected to attempted brainwashing and electroshock treatment. She fled China in 2001 for Australia, wrote a book about her experiences, and eventually settled in the United States. There's also a documentary about her life. You can find her current work, her current reporting on China, where she breaks many original stories, and her other work, at jenniferzungblog.com on YouTube and on Subscribestar. And with that, uh, Jennifer, take it away. The floor is yours. Thank you so much, for Chris, and uh, hello, everyone. I think I'll jump right uh, on the day when we were transferred from the detention center to the labor camp. That was on the June the 1st, 2000. Uh, that was at the uh, relatively beginning stage of the crackdown of Falun Gong. And I remember very clearly on our way from the detention center to the labor camp, we were taken uh, to a clinic first to conduct a thorough uh, physical checkups. And there was a doctor uh, integrating everybody regarding our medical history. And I honestly told him that I had hepatitis C before I practiced Falun Gong because that was the case. And I remember this especially because I 
I felt like happy uh, uh, at that time because I think I could uh, somehow let them know that I recovered from my hepatitis C um, after I practiced in Falun Gong. Although we were cracked down by the government, uh, we uh, still want to convey uh, the beauty of the Falun Gong or Falun Dafa to whoever we met on, on the way. So that was the first physical checkup we encountered on the day when we were transferred to the neighbor camp on June 1st, uh, 2000. And then in, when we were already inside the labor camp, maybe probably after one or two months, I didn't, I don't remember on which day exactly, there was suddenly a big, big bus uh, arriving at the labor camp. And everyone, actually, they, they uh, handcuffed every two of us together. So one pair of handcuffs to two persons. So they handcuffed uh, us two uh, in a pair of handcuffs and uh, pushed us inside of this bus. And, uh, and they act, uh, I remember very clearly, they actually put curtains on the windows of the bus. So we're, we were uh, all, uh, uh, you can say one on top of another inside of the bus. So all these seats were filled. And I remember I was squatting between the little space of two rows because there were no enough seats for every one of us. So the extra people either squat on in the corridor or between the uh, seats of the, of the two rows. So I buried my head on the, on the knees of the person who were sitting. And the bus is a big black boxes because all the curtains were covered by, by some kind of clothing. So in that kind of terrifying, and it was so hot, it's hot summer. And in that kind of terrifying uh, situation, we were uh, bused to a hospital, not very long, maybe pro probably 30 minutes drive from the labor camp. And there we were uh, given another very thorough physical checkups and this time including x-ray. And then we were taken to back to the labor camp under the same kind of terrifying situation, a big black box uh, bust us, uh, taken us to the hospital and then take, take, took us back. And then maybe uh, one after another month or so, uh, we were taken this time just a few, maybe two or three together to a very small clinic inside the labor camp, just between the big gate and to have our blood taken. Uh, so they, they please just uh, call us in, in the corridor of the building, call our name and whatever name were called, we need to follow the police to go to that clinic and, and have our blood taken. We were never told why they take our blood and we were never sure the result of the physical checkups and why we, on the one hand, they torture us to death and on the other hand, they uh, give us, you know, they spend so, many, so much money, so much effort in checking our physical status repeatedly. When I was uh, in the camp, that was from 2000 and 2001, I do remember the police once threatened us 
if you do not give up Falun Gong, if you do not transform or reform, you will be sent to the a very far area in the western north of China and as soon as you are there, never dream of coming back home again. But at that time I thought it was just a, a threat, uh, so I didn't take it seriously. Only after many, many years in 2006, when I was already in Sydney, when I read the first report about the organ harvesting affair and when I recall what happened to me and to the others inside the camp, especially we had a very strict regulations in the camp. Uh, inmates were not allowed to exchange contact information and when we, were, when we were released we were searched so thoroughly so to ensure that we didn't bring any single little piece of paper uh, with us of any information. So when we were in the camp, we didn't think why they had such, a, such kind of regulation, but later on I recall this and I found when someone disappeared from the camp, we would assume he or she got released, but we really had no way to verify this because after I was released, I couldn't get contact with any other fellow inmates. In the, in the camp, so I actually didn't know the whereabouts of whoever was once there or who are still in there, who released before me who, or who disappeared after me. So there's no way to verify this. So apart from this, uh, I think, terrifying experience of becoming the potential uh, donor or so-called donor of the organ harvesting, other two parts of the labor camp is one, endless slave labor. Every day we got up from 5.30 and we work up till midnight and sometimes we work overnight so that our products can catch up the train for the next day. And another part is of course endless torture because the only purpose the police told us to send us there is to get us reformed. So the, the torture was just unbelievably cruel. I saw people uh, beaten into insanity. She lost her mind. I saw people shocked. I myself was shocked. And uh, there were people who were tortured to death in the camp or, or as well as in the labor camp. So that's the, the torture happened every day. So there's no reason or reason now why on the one other hand they torture us to death and then on the other hand we were given physical checkups repeatedly. So uh, only after many, many years, because I think no normal human being would uh, be able to imagine that this kind of thing could happen to any other fellow human being. So only after many years when I read the report and uh, when I read many, many reports did I realize what a narrow escape I had. Uh, probably because I told the doctor that I had hepatitis C, that I wasn't um, being taken for the organs. So that's my personal experience. Uh, I hope maybe um, you can spread what you heard here today as many people as possible because we don't know how many people have been already killed by this organ transplant. You know.
genocide or whatever. I don't know how to uh, describe it. So I think I'm already used up my 10 minutes. So I'll maybe give back to the mic to David. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Jennifer, very much. Now we're going to go on to David Kilgore. David is a kill. Uh, sorry, David is a human rights activist, author, former lawyer, and Canadian politician. David served as a Crown Attorney in Northern Alberta, a Canadian Cabinet Minister, and for 27 years as a member of Canada's Parliament. For his organ harvesting work, David Kilgore was co-recipient of the 2009 Human Rights Award from the German-based International Society for Human Rights and was nominated for the 2010 Nobel Peace Prize. David is a member of the International Advisory Committee of the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China, otherwise known as ETAC. And with that introduction, uh, David's going to tell us about the constellation of evidence supporting the conclusion that China is engaged in criminal forest organ harvesting. David, the floor is yours. And uh, it's such a serious subject that uh, I, I thought I might just pick up on what Jennifer said to try to, before I go into evidence and so on. Uh, what, what you said, Jennifer, it, we have talked to many people who've gone through similar processes who, like yourself, managed to get out of the system for various reasons, such as yours. And the way it works is that let's let's pick on Chris as a, an example. If Chris wants a new liver or heart or, or vital organ, and he's got enough money, the organs are very expensive, then the prices vary, but uh, but they are very expensive. If he can come up with the money to a broker, perhaps a broker in New York, and there were brokers in New York, I'm quite sure of this, he would then fly to Shanghai to the number one people's hospital in Shanghai, being from coming from the States. He would be given a bed. Uh, somebody would come and talk to him. They'd take a blood sample, a tissue sample from him. They'd then go on their computers, and it goes back to what you were saying, they'd find who was a match for him out in one of their many, many work camps, forced labor camps. <clears throat> Supposing you and Chris were a match, you would be taken out of your dormitory at night, which you know so well. You'd be taken to an operating room, given some uh, uh, minor anesthetic. It would vary sometimes what it was. You'd be, uh, your vital organs would be taken out, out of your body. You'd be, of course, be dead. Um, and then his kidney or liver or whatever it was would be flown to uh, Shanghai in the uh, People's Liberation Army aircraft. Uh, there was a, they had to do it quickly because organs won't last to, uh, very long. And he would, he would have a, a kidney or liver put into his body and he'd fly back to New York with a new kidney or liver. Probably he'd be told he got it from a, uh, it was a voluntary donation if it was after 2015. But the reality was, as you said, was from some prisoner of conscience who had been convicted in all likelihood of nothing and was just being killed so that the, the pilots of the aircraft, the surgeons, the, 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 the nurses, the everybody involved, the broker, could make a huge amount of money. Chris mentioned nine billion. I'm sure it's gone up since then, but we, uh, it was certainly billions of dollars they, they made, was made out of this grotesque uh, commerce each year and, and continues to be made. I'll go into some of the evidence because I know this, what I've just said and you've said may sound so difficult for some people to um, to believe. Um, 
the uh, um, yes, it's very important to stress that there, among about 200 countries today, there's only one, the People's Republic of China, where the uh, where the uh, organ harvesting is run by the government and the state rather than by uh, unethical surgeons in the back alleys. In uh, China, as you I'm sure all gather now, the system is run by the government for the benefit of the government and the people who do the operations. Um, it's uh, in mid 2006, as you mentioned, Chris, David Matus and I were as volunteers, did an independent investigation into these claims that these terrible things were happening to Falun Gong practitioners. Um, we uh, published two reports and uh, the Second Republic, I think, report is available in something like 60 languages. It was it was translated into many languages. And we did a, a book entitled Bloody Harvest in 2009. We concluded, to our horror, of course, that since 2001, the Beijing uh, party state had directed a network of forced organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience, like Jennifer, for example, that she had been killed for her organs, primarily Falun Gong practitioners. They were then sold um, to wealthy recipients, as I was mentioning, and, um, and foreign organ tourists. Specifically, we concluded that from 18 kinds of uh, evidence, and I, I was a prosecutor for almost 10 years, uh, as you mentioned, I guess, Chris, so I should know something about evidence, and certainly David Maitis does, does too. So beyond any doubt, between the years 2001 in 2005, 41,500 organs were, were sourced from Falun Gong prisoners of conscience whose bodies were then incinerated or cremated. Canada's uh, much-loved rabbi emeritus, Dr. Reuven Bulkin, and there was, a, by the way, there was a tribute for him about an hour ago uh, here in, in Ottawa. He, he died recently, tragically. Um, he, he said this, and he, uh, quote, this is murder, brutal murder, taking organs from the bodies of live people, even though there was irrefutable evidence that this was happening, the Chinese authorities denied it. They are liars as well as murderers, close quote. Dr. Oka is, is one of the most respected Canadians until his death a few weeks ago, uh, or I'm sorry, about a month ago in, in our entire country. Ethan Gutman, author of the, uh, the Slaughter, which came out in 2014, spent seven years researching this, this, this file. He, uh, he put the persecution of the Falun Gong, Tibetans, Uyghurs, and Christian communities in China in context. He, uh, he explains how he arrived at his best estimates that organs from 65,000 Falun Gong and two to 4,000 Uyghurs, Tibetans, and Christians were pillaged in the 2000-2008 period. <clears throat> Matus, Gutman, and I released an update in 2016. You can get it, by the way, on the website. Simply go to davidkilgore.com and you'll see it. It's near the top. You can get... Uh, you can access the whole the whole report up there, along with a, a lot of other stuff. It provided a careful examination, and you you quote Chris, you mentioned some of this in your intro. Um, 
of the transplant of the transplant program of the hundreds of hospitals across China, drawing on on medical journals, hospital websites, and debated and deleted websites um, found in archives. We concluded cautiously, the three of us, that over two decades, the party state has directed a network of organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience, primarily Falun Gong, since 2001. Our findings helped the US Congress and the European Parliament to pass nearly identical resolutions condemning the Chinese state for the harvesting of prisoners of conscience. Organ pillaging from Uyghurs, as I'm sure you all know, in fact, uh, preceded that from Falun Gong. Dr. Inver Toti, a Uyghur, has detailed how in 1995, as a, as a general surgeon in the Urumqi capital of Xinjiang, he, he was sent to an execution ground to remove a kidneys and liver from a living prisoner. In 2019, Toti uh, publicized a photograph of the it's called the Human Organ Transplantation uh, Path at the Urumqi Airport in Xinjiang, which expedited the transfer of organs to global recipients. Um, Xi Jinping himself has been quoted saying bizarrely that Uyghurs should be shown, quote, absolutely no mercy. Can you imagine? That's the kind of mentali mentality that exists in uh, Xinjiang today. The independent uh, tribunal into forced organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience uh, uh, was instituted by the International Coalition, which you mentioned, Chris, in the UK. It heard witnesses on the persecution of Falun Gong members of, in China and the harvesting of, of organs to determine whether or not a criminal offense had been committed by the PRC government. Based on the 2019 independent China tribunal findings, um, we learned that the Beijing CCP authorities are still at it. 90,000 transplants a year, coupled with a waiting time of just a few weeks and the assurance of a backup organ should the original organ fail, comes to mind one man we talked to who four times they had to brought him a kidney and three of the, the first three kidneys they brought him didn't work. So they brought him a fourth and finally it, it, it worked. But the point of course is, is that four innocent human beings died so that he could get a, a kidney a kidney that works. And we in fact uh, talked to him. I won't tell you what country he lives in. Don't think that helps. Um, uh, that's the reality of China. It can only be explained as resulting from the murders of readily available prisoners, Falun Gong, Tibetans, Uyghur Muslims, and Christians. In delivering the unanimous judgment of the tribunal, Sir Jeffrey Nice, who was, who was active in the, in the war crimes tribunals, stressed the independence of his tribunal and its reluctance to infer Chinese government complicity on the basis of its unwillingness to engage in the proceedings. Despite silence from Beijing and its disinclination to defend the ro its role in the organ commerce, the tribunal, determined that there was enough evidence to reach a, a damning verdict. Short waiting times for organs promised by PRC doctors and hospitals, the number of transplant operations performed, which far outnumbered the, the, the government and hospital statistics for voluntary donations, 
and a quote, massive infrastructure development of facilities and medical personnel for organ transplant operations. Even before the, uh, the voluntary donation scheme was, was, was planned, were some of the conclusions that, uh, which when combined with everything else, uh, uh, forced, convinced us that forced organ harvesting was committed for years throughout China and convinced the, the tribunal, I hasten to say. The tribunal concluded that Falun Gong practitioners were the primary victims, but since 2017, a, a comprehensive DNA collection of every man, woman, and child from Xinjiang, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the East Turkestan part of China, uh, from the Uyghur community in China has created a large pool of potential donors from which evidence of harvesting might later emerge. And the commission in, 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 China, in Britain is looking at that right now. The incarceration since 2017 of up to 3 million Uyghurs in concentration camps has added to the, to the concern that has become a particularly vulnerable group. Tribunal summary judgment states that, it, quote, it has had no evidence that the significant infrastructure associated with China's transportation industry has been dismantled. And the absence of a satisfied explanation as to the source of readily available organs, uh, the, the tribunal concluded that uh, forced organ harvesting continues until today, close quote. So I'm just, I'm just about finished. Uh, exponential increases in organ transplantation in the PRC have combined with inexplicable um, misrepresentation in the availability of voluntary donors. Since executed prisoners have ceased officially being a source of organs in 2014, the number of transplants continued to rise. The tribunal assessing the anomalous data provided by the PRC became convinced that the government uh, official statistics had been falsified. Taking as credible that between 60 and 90,000 transplant operations are carried on each year, the number of official eligible donors in 2017 stood at about 5,100. The tribunal concluded that there was an incomprehensible gap leading to the conclusion that, quote, there must have existed another source of, or other sources of tissue typed organs. The stark deduction was that, quote, there must have existed a body of donors unidentified in the PRC uh, material. The tribunal was unanimous, I think, believe there were nine people on the tribunal, in, in declaring it a crime against humanity. Um, now, this is interesting. Responding to the tribunal's uh, final judgment, Dr. John Chisholm, who's the British Medical Association Medical Ethics Committee chair, stated, quote, the practice of forced organ harvesting represents a gross and continuing violation of a series of inalienable fundamental human rights, including the right to life, and in some cases, the right to free freedom from torture or from cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. Any involvement, he went on, of physicians in forced or harvesting or, or, or of organs is therefore unlawful, unethical, and in contravention of the professional, uh, professional uh, codes set down by the World Medical Association. The primary duty of all physicians is to promote the, the well-being of their patients, 
The first and foremost is to ensure they do no harm, close quote. The British Medical Association called on the People's Republic of China to, quote, facilitate a thorough independent investigation into forced organ harvesting and to protect physicians' core professional obligations by ensuring that physicians are never involved in such practices, close quote. So the UK tribunal concluded that by calling on government and individuals, activists and motivated politicians to, to decide for themselves whether crimes have been committed in the face of the findings and, quote, do whatever they might think is their duty. And I hope this applies to all of you as well. In the face of any revealed wickedness of the kind shown in any finding that forced organ harvesting has happened or is continuing to happen in the PRC. So in conclusion, uh, as all of you I'm sure know, Beijing doesn't hesitate to use trade and business incentives to further silence weak governments, nor does it hesitate to continue to undermine our Western democracies and values to advance what I would, as I said earlier, are, are fascist objectives. Um, the US and all responsible governments must take every opportunity to condemn publicly the Beijing regime over its ongoing persecution of prisoners of conscience. The entire international community should join the, uh, the rest of us, or should join those countries, and there are about 10 of them that have I put a travel ban on, on China-bound transplants uh, surgery. Any deal with China on any matter must include an insistence that the barbaric practice, this barbaric practice stop immediately, coupled with a, with a mechanism whereby such stoppages can be verified. The United States and Canada, and of course, all the responsible international community should apply its Magnitsky laws where they exist and have and other targeted sanctions against any Chinese government official known to be identified in the persecution of organ harvesting. And if we and other democracies uh, showed more commitment to our core values, this despicable commerce might uh, would, would end, I believe, more quickly. And I'm convinced it's going to end because I think we're going to continue to put more and more pressure on the, the government of China. That's probably a good place to, to, to stop. Thank you. Okay. So with that, we're going to go to questions and answers. Let me review what happened in the chat box. See what the first question for our speakers is. Um, question, first question goes to Jennifer. Let me stop screen share. Uh, first question goes to Jennifer. Uh, you mentioned that you went through uh, many checkups uh, while you were a prisoner of conscience in China, what was the chatter? What did your fellow prisoners think uh, all these checkups were for? Did you have any idea what was going on? No, not at all. Because that was in 2000 and 2001. Nobody, I think, on that stage has uh, had ever heard about about this practice. So. Uh, we and every day our schedule was so tight. We were so um, tired, and we uh, all were all our minds were on um, either how I could uh, finish my quota today, or how can I hold for another day without being transformed by them. So 
I really didn't have the ability or to think about why they are uh, like you, like I said, told us on the one hand two days and on the other hand give us repeated checkups. I think no human, no more human being with a normal thinking would ever imagine what this a sinister um, purpose for those uh, checkups were. Otherwise, would be we would have been terrified to death. But at that time, we didn't know anything, so we passively uh, go through whatever they told they told us to do. So that's the situation in the labor camp. Can I add a footnote to that, Jennifer? Can I add something to that, Chris? Yes, go right ahead, David. Yes, Jennifer, I, I think you may have been one of the people who told David Matus and I, and as you know, we traveled to about 50 countries talking to people like yourself who managed to get out of these horrible camps. Uh, a number of them, and I think you were one of them, told us that the only people examined in the camps were Falun Gong practitioners by these doctors. And the medical examinations were really just to see how good your organs were, Perhaps some people didn't realize that at the time. Was that your experience that only the Falun Gong were examined and not other prisoners? Uh, in, in, in my labor camp, by the way, it is the Beijing female labor camp. Uh, when we were first there on the day I mentioned, we were taken to a clinic. On that day, there were 24 of us, but 20 out of 24 were all Falun Gong practitioners. And then later on in the, in the camp, they the image, the number of images developed from about 100 to nearly 1,000 in just several minutes. And 90% of the images there, when I was there, were Falun Gong practitioners. So whenever what they did to us, because 95 were Falun Gong practitioners anyway. So I, yeah, I heard other Falun Gong practitioners remember very clearly that only Falun Gong practitioners were checked. But in my case, because 95 of, of the image prisoners in the camp were Falun Gong practitioners anyway, so I didn't you know, remember exactly whether they only took Falun Gong practitioners or everybody. Thank, thank you, thank you very much. Okay, the next questions are for David. Uh, David, is there any evidence that the, you mentioned there are up to 3 million Uyghurs in camps today in Xinjiang province, is there even any evidence that they are being tissue typed for their organs? Oh yes, I, I um, actually uh, um, one of the Uyghur community at, uh, in the United States has pointed out that everybody of, of uh, Muslim faith has been DNA tested in uh, in Xinjiang, but they are the only ones who've been tested. As I'm sure you all know, there's quite a large community now in that part of China that is not. Uh, it's not weaker. So it's only the Uyghurs that get tested for their DNA uh, in, the, in these camps and, and, and other people don't. It's a bit like Falun Gong, as we were talking about a minute ago. And that's, I think it's obviously, and I think that's what the, uh, the Jeffrey Nice Commission is going to say when they report, I guess in five months or six months, is that it's obvious that, that as with Falun Gong, the Uyghurs are being tested to see how, how good they would be as organ so-called donors. But as, as everybody knows, there's nothing, you know, these aren't donated organs at all. They're, they're people who are murdered and then their organs are taken from their from their bodies. Or they're, they're murdered in the process of taking them from their bodies. I, sorry, I should have put that more precisely. 
And the next question is, uh, China has mounted in recent years a, a, a very aggressive propaganda campaign about this whole issue. And just for example, oh, last month I saw that they had arrested some do some random doctor and charged him with um, with organ harvesting, uh, and that was a crime against Chinese law. Blah blah blah. Uh, and they they uh, they will go out there and and um, and tout the the virtues, extol the virtues of their their official transplant system, and yep. tell us a little bit about their propaganda well, on this issue. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I saw that report too, Chris, and it was it was really it was comical. And you know who's put it better than anybody is that wonderful man Huawei Wei, I guess now lives in London, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and he's the one who designed the uh, 2008. Beijing Stadium, and he's a. Please try to look him up. Huawei Wei. I'm sure Jennifer knows all about him, and he said something that I think applies to what you're just speaking about, which is that the uh, the Communist Party of China is now so so ethically poor, ethically deprived, if you like, and so intellectually stupid. I think that was the term, or stupid, or or that they're incapable of debating with anybody. They're, incap they're incapable of de debating with anybody, uh, any serious person from anywhere because of the fact that they're, uh, they've gone so low. And so this thing about arresting somebody, a doctor, and saying, well, we're going to charge him for doing this, when you have on the other side, you have a mountain of evidence showing that they can, they're continuing to run an industry based on killing their own prisoners of conscience shows you how stupid they are and how stupid they think we are if we're going to accept this thing. Ethan Gutman puts it very well. The intellectual discussion of this topic is uh, is long, long, long over, and, and uh, they've lost it. Let me give you all one perhaps humorous example. When David Madis and I put out our interim report back in 2006, we we made a we made a couple of mistakes on the maps. We put a city in the wrong province. I think we did this twice. And we had a, whatever it was, 90 page report. And these, <laughs> these people in the Communist Party in China, the only thing they could pick to, to challenge in our report was the fact that we got two cities in the wrong states. And so they made a big deal out of the fact that, uh, that uh, we had made these mistakes. And of course, we immediately admitted we had made these mistakes. But in terms of the substance, in terms of murdering citizens for their organs, we did not make mistakes, and if we ever did, we corrected them immediately. So they're, uh, we're dealing with people whose uh, intellectual and ethical principles are so low now that it's they, they, they do things almost every day. And look what they're doing at the Olympics, who were watching that carefully, to, to see that they're just, uh, they're just uh, propagandists. It's another reason why everybody who's watching this should please join all of us who are trying to get the the Olympics for for 2022 either moved, uh, moved or or cancelled, and uh, I was horrified to see today that uh, Coca-Cola, one of the sponsors of the Olympics, doesn't seem to think there's anything going wrong in in uh, in China that uh, he, he's concerned about. You, you can get his uh, evidence. I'm sure you can get it on under Google very quickly. It's a, uh, it's it's very sad. And uh, Coca-Cola is not the only one. If you want to learn more, 
You can find links in the show notes at storiesofcommunism.com to Jennifer's book and to the Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. You can also find a link to the Anti-Communism Action Team site, spiderandthefly.com, where you can find lots of additional related info, in addition to information on supporting current action on the U.S. Congress is considering on this issue. And this has been your Story of Communism for today.